Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, The Three R's. Today we continue in our FAQs where we're going to look at five different questions and take scripture that we can apply to each different one. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to the second week of Frequently Asked Questions and what we've been doing as a church is just looking at a bunch of different topics and questions that you submitted a few weeks ago and just looking at the Bible and looking at different pieces of Scripture and discovering some answers. Today, I'm going to attempt to ask and answer five different questions. And so let's jump right into this, all right? Here's FAQ number one. Who's your favorite staff member? We're going to begin with something kind of easy. And I actually have an answer to this. My favorite staff member is the guy with the mustache. And I don't know where he went or why he's taking a picture with my wife. I'm not sure, but that's my favorite staff member. Actually, I will say to you that I'm really proud and thankful for the staff that we have at Valley Point Church that makes this place run and go. And I am grateful for their love for God their love for you, and their love for pointing people to real relationships that inspires real significance. And I'm grateful for their hard work, and it is truly a joy to be able to work with them. So that's the easy question for today, all right? By the way, somebody did ask one of the questions that was submitted was something about my former mustache. So I kind of covered two questions in one there, all right? Okay, let's move on to FAQ number two, and that is, should I believe that dinosaurs existed? I don't understand how dinosaurs fit into biblical history, and my middle school child is learning about evolution in prehistoric times. I've tried to explain why I don't believe in evolutionary theory, but I don't think I did a good job. Could you help? Well, I will try to help. So let's break this down. Did dinosaurs exist? Absolutely, yes. The fossil record alone demands that you come to that conclusion. And you can look at that, you can observe that, you can see that, and come to a very logical conclusion that dinosaurs absolutely did exist. And what's fascinating about this topic, which is kind of fun to talk about, is that dinosaurs are mentioned in the Bible, and there are some creatures described that probably, scholars believe, fit into that category. But the word dinosaur itself is never used in the Bible. And I always thought that was a bit troubling. Why is that? If these particular animals described in Scripture are dinosaurs, why wouldn't it just come right out and say, that's a dinosaur, and that would kind of resolve all of the challenges around this, but it doesn't say that. And so as I began to think about this question, for me, I wanted to study and research why isn't dinosaur that word in the Bible. And there actually is a very simple conclusion and answer to that. The word dinosaur itself was invented in 1841 or 1842, somewhere in there, by a guy named Sir Richard Owen, who was a British paleontologist and a zoologist. He's the one who actually came up with the word. And he did a ton of study and research on dinosaurs in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. 
his most memorable contribution to this area of study was a paper that he submitted to a scientific journal called the British Association for the Advancement of Science. Now, who cares about that, right? Well, as it turns out, it's kind of a big deal because it was in this paper submitted to this scientific journal that the word dinosaur was proposed for the very first time, and it stuck. Again, that's in 1841 or 1842 that all of this happened. What's very interesting to me is that the word dinosaur actually comes from two different Greek words. The word dinos, which means terrible, and the word saurus, which means lizard. And that was their best description of a dinosaur. It was a terrible lizard. And so the name stuck, and that's all a result of Sir Richard. So we can thank him for that. But now, here's what's interesting. The first handwritten English language Bible manuscripts came about in the 1380s by a guy named John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was an Oxford scholar and theologian and professor. And so that would put his first English manuscript at about 461 years before the word dinosaur was ever invented. What's even more interesting is that the King James Version of the Bible, which is still the most popular version of Scripture even to this day, was first translated into English in 1611. That's 230 years before the word was created, and that's why you don't see this word used in the Bible. The word dinosaur is actually kind of a modern word. But I do believe you find dinosaurs themselves described in Scripture. In Job chapter 40 and 41, we find God having a conversation with a real person named Job. And in these paragraphs, he's asking Job to observe a few different animals. And I'm going to read these paragraphs to you in just a minute. But here we find God talking to Job and asking him to look at this particular animal. Observe them, how incredible they are, how magnificent they are. And many scholars believe that these are descriptions of dinosaurs. I believe that dinosaurs and humans coexisted together, and they lived at the same time, and that's based on the biblical historical account. And I want to read that to you. Here's Job chapter 40. Again, remember God's having this conversation with a real person, and he's saying, Take a look at behemoth, which I made, just as I made you. I believe that God created dinosaurs and humans on day six of creation. And you can read all about that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 and 26. They were created on the same day by God. And God is saying here, look at behemoth. I made him just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. So that's the behemoth. The other animal talked about that, again, scholars believe is a reference to a dinosaur is the leviathan. And we find this in Job 41. Here's verse 12. 
Again, God's talking to Job and he's saying, I want to emphasize Leviathan's limbs and its enormous strength and graceful form. Who could pry open its jaws? For its teeth are terrible. Its scales are like rows of shields tightly sealed together. They are so close together that no air can get between them. When it sneezes, it flashes light. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? And its eyes are like the red of dawn. The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm and cannot be penetrated. No sword can stop it. No spear, dart, or javelin. Iron is nothing but straw to that creature, and bronze is like rotten wood. Nothing on earth is its equal. No other creature is so fearless. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. It is the king of the beasts. The behemoth and the leviathan. Were they dinosaurs? Well, Scripture doesn't use that word. Again, the reason it doesn't use that word is because the word wasn't invented at that time. These descriptions fit what a dinosaur would be and how they would function. And again, many scholars believe that the behemoth and the Leviathan are modern-day descriptions of these particular dinosaurs. All right, the second part of that question. It's the middle school. And my child is there learning about evolution in prehistoric times. I've tried to share my perspective on that, the question says, but I don't think I did a good job. So my response to that would be, I think this all goes back to origins. And what is it that you believe about how everything was created? What do you believe about that? Now, it's kind of a complex, deep question, but yet it is a great question for all of us to consider And I would encourage you and challenge you to wrestle with that. What do you believe personally about how everything came to be? If you believe in the Genesis account as found in Scripture, which I believe, then you would say that God was distinctly involved in the creation of the world and everything in it, that he played a significant role. Other people believe that things evolve. And millions of years were needed in order for that to happen. I believe in six literal days of creation as outlined in Genesis chapter 1 that God spoke and things just began to happen. Whatever you believe about origins and how everything was created, whether you would consider yourself to be a creationist or an evolutionist or something somewhere in between, and there are a lot of options to choose from. Whatever you believe about that, here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. You believe that by faith. Whatever it is you think about how the world came to be, you believe that by faith because we were not there to see that. See, we're talking about historical science here, not observational science, and there is a difference. And one of the things that I remind myself of occasionally when I begin to struggle with this or I talk with other people who just have a hard time wrapping their mind around God's creative work is, again, we're choosing to believe something by faith. And so what I remind myself of occasionally is, do you want to believe the opinion and the thoughts of fallible humans who were not there and never claimed to be there, 
and are sometimes known to get things wrong? Or would you prefer to believe the infallible opinion of God who did claim to be there and never gets anything wrong? I think that's just a great thing to consider as we think about how did everything come to be? What's our view of origins? Sounds like a great Sunday afternoon conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I would encourage you to have that with a few people in your house and just wrestle with that. And I think that will be a good thing. And I do think one of the greatest things that you can do for your kids is to help them study Scripture as well. Because most likely they're going to get other views and other thoughts, but you want to help balance that with what is found and what is taught in the historical account of how things came to be in Scripture. And I think that's a very healthy thing to do. And I think that will help your kids. All right? Hopefully... That makes a bit of sense. Let's move on to FAQ number three, and that is, how would you handle a request of a gay couple to marry them? And how does God view, what does God think about homosexuality? And is homosexuality a sin? So what I want to do is I want to walk through answering each one of those And then I want to go back and fill in some context and give you a bit of my heart and my understanding of Scripture in this. So how would I handle a request of a gay couple to marry them? I would not feel comfortable marrying a gay couple based on the biblical description of marriage in the Bible, and that is it's between a man and a woman for life. And so based on that biblical description, that would be difficult for me to do. What about God's view of homosexuality and how does he view this? Well, I think God would look at this just like he does any other topic or any other issue. He would look at it with a balance of truth and grace. Truth and grace. And whether we're talking about homosexuality or stealing or anything else, I think God looks at all of these things the same. There is a balance of truth and grace. I think the unfortunate thing, especially in the church world, is that there probably hasn't been enough discussion on these controversial topics centered around truth and grace. And so it can be just kind of confusing. And so I think as God looks at this, he looks at it the same as he would anything else. It's a matter of mixing truth and grace. And I'm going to attempt to do that today. As far as homosexuality being a sin, I believe the act of homosexuality is a sin and not the temptation to or the feelings toward. That's a little bit different. But following through on our actions is where the challenge lies. So this topic, I believe, and you may believe this as well, I think this right here is going to be the most challenging topic for the church and for faith-based organizations for years to come. It's just going to be a really challenging thing to deal with. And I believe we should be able to talk about it with truth and grace, even if there is disagreements. But again, I think the problem has become there's not enough honest and open conversations about this controversial topic. And so again, people just wonder. And it seems that whenever we begin to talk about this, that the rhetoric that surrounds it is filled with accusations and anger and intolerance is often thrown out. And I think that's unfortunate. 
And so because I don't believe the church talks about this enough, let's talk about it, okay? Let's just have an open conversation about this today and think through what Scripture actually says about this, all right? It's really quiet in the room right now, so I want everybody just to breathe a little bit, okay? Because we're going to be all right. Let's just think about this. And what I like to do when I walk through controversial issues or topics with people is that you have to ask some key questions because key questions can begin to clarify what God thinks about it and how we should respond as well and how we can do all of that in a spirit of love and respect. And so here's one of the questions that I begin to think through and I enjoy asking people, and that is, is there a clear statement of Scripture regarding the topic? And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. When there's not a clear statement on the topic in Scripture, that's where you have to look to biblical principles that apply to that. But the first thing you've got to think through is there's specific Scripture that speaks directly to this. The Old Testament and New Testament statements regarding this topic are that it is clearly something that is outside God's plan and God's design for his creation. And you see that in Genesis chapter 2 and Leviticus 18 and in paragraphs like Romans chapter 1. And what I'd like to do for a few moments is just read through Romans chapter 1 so that we can all see this. And then there's something very unique about Romans chapter 1 that we often overlook and don't consider when we look at this. And so I want to bring all of that up, okay? Here's Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says, They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, this is where we get God's perspective on this issue. In looking at this, though, I believe we have to be very careful not to just zero in on one thing, which quite honestly, the church can be good at doing occasionally. Like that's what it says. There's God's word and that's what it means. And we have to be careful about not zeroing in on one particular topic and issue to the exclusion of others. What is so fascinating about Romans chapter 1 is that it goes on to list several other things that also clearly fall outside of God's design and plan for our lives and connects it to this conversation and this topic of homosexuality. So it's not just about that, which, again, can be easy sometimes to zero in on. It's about all of these other things, too, which we often overlook and ignore and forget about. Like, here's what it says in Romans chapter 1, like greed, hate, envy, Quarreling, gossip, and disobedience to parents. Right? In the same context. Like these are all things that are offensive to God. And all things that he clearly says, this is outside of my plan and outside of my design for you. So I share that with you so that we don't attack something that becomes 
the all-important thing while we ignore other things as well. That's not what God wants, and it's not what God asks for. He wants us to look at all of the things that fall outside of his plan and his design for our lives. So let's go back to the topic for a moment. Based on the clear teaching of Scripture, I would not marry a couple that came in that was gay requesting that. And that may sound harsh, but it's not. Let me explain what I mean by that. In my 22 years of being a pastor, I have had the opportunity to officiate a ton of weddings. And I always enjoy those events. They're a lot of fun. But what I do is I sit down with couples before I ever agree to, yes, I'm going to marry you. And we kind of do a a pre-counseling conversation. And in 22 years of dealing with heterosexual couples coming in, requesting to be married, I have not married every single person that has asked for that. And there is a variety of different reasons for that. That's not this question, so I'm not going to share that now. That's probably a different topic. But I do not marry everybody that comes in and requests that. I just don't. I would welcome a conversation with a gay couple on this topic. I would not shy away from that. I would not run from that. I would welcome that conversation, and I hope someday to be able to have that because I think this is one of the biggest issues that surrounds all of this is that people are having a hard time discussing this in a spirit of truth and love and respect. And so I hope someday that I can have that conversation. It seems like the lines are drawn in this conversation and that there's two distinct camps and they're constantly launching grenades at each other. That's unfortunate, and it's not very sophisticated. I think we can have loving, respectful conversations with people that we disagree with on important things, but still do that in a way that honors God and respects people who are God's creation. I believe that can happen. And I hope someday to have that conversation. And again, I would welcome that, and I would enjoy that. There's a statement that you're going to see on the screen, and this is kind of how I feel about dealing with this, uh, the sexual ethics, really, is how we could categorize this. So here's what the statement says. I encourage heterosexuals and homosexuals alike to live out the sexual ethics taught in scriptures, which promotes and encourages sexual expression between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. The Bible prescribes sexual abstinence and purity for everyone else. And that is my best understanding of Scripture. I've looked at a lot of different pieces, tried to study, really spent some time dealing with this. And there is a code of sexual ethics in Scripture. By the way, God created sex. That is His invention. And that is something that He wants people to enjoy. But there is a proper place for that. And so I encourage heterosexuals and homosexuals alike, live out the sexual ethics that are found in Scripture. There is an outlet. When that outlet cannot be applied and used, then the Bible prescribes abstinence. So I ask this question, is there a clear statement of Scripture? Let's, Let's wrestle with that and let's think about that. And in this case, there really is. But here's the second question. And this gets a little more practical and a little more of where we get the chance to share our hearts with individuals. And the second question is this. Does my language communicate compassion? 
And that's something you've got to answer and you've got to think about. I have gay friends, and I get the chance to talk with them, and we talk about these very things. And you probably have gay friends as well, or perhaps family members. And does our language, as we talk about this, and as we share, and as we discuss, does our language communicate compassion? I think in dealing with this subject, it is absolutely essential that that has to be the case. And so... If you're a gay basher, that needs to stop. It's unnecessary, and it's very harmful, and it's far away from the heart and the activity of Christ. It just is. And so that needs to stop. If this is a subject or a topic that is challenging for you and difficult, then I would encourage you, keep seeking God on the issues. He understands all of the complexities. He understands you. By the way, I think human sexuality is a very complex thing. And God understands that. God gets that. And so keep seeking, keep taking those questions and those hurts and that pain to him. And I want you to know that Valley Point is a safe place for you to do that. We say here that one of our core values is that we embrace people. Right? We say that. Everybody likes that when it applies to them and their particular issue, but sometimes when it falls outside of that, that can be very uncomfortable for others. Well, guess what? We have no option but to accept everyone who walks through because that's exactly what God would want for us and from us. It's exactly what Christ would do. And so we don't list who those people are because it doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter. And so we open the doors and we embrace all kinds of people because they're God's creative beings and he loves them and we need to be ready to do the same. We're going to embrace people. Okay? That's question number three. Uh, Here's FAQ number four. And that is, I am the only member of my family that attends church. Will this create a wall between my husband and me? Well, it certainly can. And we need to be careful and wise with this. And here at Valley Point, we lift up marriage and want to protect that. And we want to be sure that we're not doing anything as a church that could potentially hurt that. And so I actually asked a friend who has walked through this to share her perspective and her advice. And here's what she said. The best way to make it work, try to work around the family time instead of competing with it. Share the positive impact it has on your life without pressuring them to come with you. And I think that's a really practical thing to do. Here's another suggestion. And that would be to reframe the challenge here from being about me versus you to us versus the problem. Often in relationships and marriage and even outside of that, when we have difficulties and challenges with people and there is tension, it becomes me versus you, right? And and we put on the gloves and, and we're ready to go after it. It's my little Rocky move right here. As many of you know, I've applied to be an extra and they still haven't called and I'm gonna contact my people tomorrow to see what's going on. 
but this is what we do. Me versus you, right? This, this happens, and we begin to punch, and we begin to fight and yell. So I think the greater thing to do, and by the way, this has broad application, is to reframe that challenge from me versus you with the gloves to us versus the problem. In marriage, we are a team. And how can the team move forward? How can the team improve? How can the team get better? And when it becomes about the team versus the problem, well, now we've reframed the conversation, and it can probably happen in a little bit better of a way. That conversation can go better. And so it's not me versus you. It's us versus the problem. Think about it in a team context. Here's some words from Romans chapter 12. This isn't a paragraph specifically about marriage, but it certainly can apply. It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's verse 18. I think if we just did this, like this kind of solves everything, doesn't it? If we just lived out what we find in Romans 12, if we looked at verse 10 and if we looked at verse 18, if we loved other people with genuine affection and we tried to take delight in honoring them, And if we did everything that we possibly could to live at peace with other people, well, this would solve a lot of problems. All right, FAQ number five, the last one, and that is, is it appropriate to watch R-rated movies? Great question, and I'm not going to answer it. (laughs) Because I think this is something you got to wrestle with on your own, and I'm just not going to come out and say. What I want to do is I want to give you a principle, though, that I think you can apply to that question and really all other forms of entertainment and other things. And so I'm not going to answer, should I see a rated R movie or not, but here's the principle that I think will help. And that is, you've got to be very careful what you expose your heart to. And as your pastor, as a shepherd, someone who loves you, I have great concern about what we expose our hearts to and what that means for us. And I often get the chance to meet with people who find themselves in a lot of trouble, and the reason that they're there is because they haven't protected their heart. And if they would have done that earlier, they might have avoided this conflict and this tension point over here. And so from my heart to yours, I want to challenge you, guard your heart. Guard that. Watch what you expose your heart to. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says it this way, Guard your heart above all else. And here's why. It determines the course of your life. So your heart is kind of a big deal. And what you expose it to can be devastating. And what we put in there will determine the course of our life. You can't get away from that. And so I'm not going to answer that question. You've got to figure that out on your own. But I would encourage you to take the principle of guarding your heart because it's really valuable. All right, you've done a great job today. Really, you have. And I want to thank you for listening and thank you for being respectful. And I would encourage you to do this because we've talked about some controversial things. I would encourage you to wrestle with this and to go to Scripture And if you are struggling with something or it doesn't make sense, all of the scripture that I talked about today is in your program. Read through that and ask God to just bring those things to light and to life inside of you. Okay? 
I want to read to you from a paragraph of Scripture as we wrap this up. I'm not going to share what this is because I want you just to think about the words and I want them to fall on you right now. So here's what this says. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise Him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for Him on the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to Him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything He does. He loves whatever is just and good, and the unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of Him. For when He spoke, the world began. It appeared at His command. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, O Lord, for our hope is in You alone. These are the words of the Lord. Father, we're thankful for this morning and this time. And God, again, we've walked through some tough subjects, some things where there's a lot of disagreement and a lot of conflict over. God, I pray that you would help us as followers of you to lead the conversation. And God, may we do that with truth and grace. May we balance that in the best possible way. And God, may we speak with individuals, even those who disagree, with a spirit of love and respect, for they are all your created beings. So God, help us to work at that. Help us to get better at that. I pray that for me as well. And may Valley Point Church be a place where we truly live out our core value, our faith catalyst of embracing people. God, help us to get better at that. Help us to improve at that knowing that's how Christ would live and that's how Christ would act and that's how Christ would communicate. And we want to act like him. We want to be like him. So help us to do that as we walk out of here in just a bit. And God, all of the other things that we're thinking about and dealing with, God, would you help us to be students of Scripture? I mean, would you help us to dive in and do the hard work of discovering and not giving up when we can't find an answer, but really dig and search, knowing that you're going to use that to impact our hearts and even the lives of others. So God, give us a good day now as we think about these different things and as we continue to respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.